Welcome to the Paradigms and Perspective Podcast. I am your host, Joe Simmons, and on this podcast, we talk about paradigms and perspectives and how people can achieve different results just by changing their paradigm and their perspectives. Let's get started with today's episode. Revenue solves problems. Have you ever heard that saying, that revenue solves problems? And it's usually always around extroverted salespeople that just think that as long as you increase in revenue, that solves all the problems in the book. Now, I understand the counter argument of instead of always trying to cut and reduce expenses, let's figure out ways to expand our mind to increase the revenue. Then that way we can pay for the expenses. And while all these, you know, mind games and these perspectives and these paradigms are great, revenue solves problems. It doesn't solve all problems. Revenue or increase in revenue only solves sales problems. And I would love to get credit to Heather Monahan and Joy McAdams uh, based on a post that Heather Monahan posted on uh, LinkedIn in regards to revenue solving problems okay let's talk about the departmental mindsets of a company so you have the sales department have their mindset the operations department have their mindset the service department divisions have their mindset and then you have the systems departments have their mindset so i'll briefly go over uh, each of the four major mindsets the first mindset is the sales mindset, which is usually common to with sales leadership. Sales leadership is focused on money. Now, I understand that uh, for most businesses, the primary goal for that business is to make money. Because somebody could say, well, why else would I be in business if it's not to make money? I'm all for making money. But I think making money should be done in a certain way. Because we all know companies that were making a lot of money and then went out of business. So um, if you just focus on the money, I don't think that's something that's uh, very long, uh, very, very long lasting. Because you can start out just focusing on the money and then you can turn your customers off and then be like, well, I'm not getting the same service. I'm not getting the same value. And that's what it should always be about. Provide your clients and services with the value. If the value is there, you won't have to worry about making money and always trying to close the next sale. You should always focus on adding value. And like Jeff Bezos says, every day should be day one. Um, Operations. So the operations mindset is the longevity, which is, uh, which is what I really like as well. Now, granted, yeah, the operations is great, but you also need the sales department. So they got they need to work hand in hand. But from an operations standpoint, it's all about longevity. How long can we keep this business open? And how long can we, you know, maintain the level of excellence or of service that we currently provide? So uh, the operations mindset is all about longevity. And looking at it as a marathon and not a quick sprint. They have long-term goals. They're not worried about, you know, quarterly profits and stuff like that. 
you know, unless you're a publicly traded company. But still, the operations uh, teams are always trying to push towards long-term things because uh, unlike the sales department, uh, longevity is the most important concept to them. Then you have the service mindset. This is all about providing experience. Once again, uh, your customers provide uh, the money so that you can have the tools and resources to continue to provide that great service. So the service department is all about experience. And they know that as long as the client or the customer or the audience has a great experience, they'll want to come back. So it's all about making sure you know everybody has a pleasurable experience. Then you have the systems uh, mindset, which uh kind of similar to the sales uh, mindset. They feel like they're the most important. So you got the sales departments. They feel like they're the most important because they bring in the money. You have the sales, the, the systems department or the systems divisions. They think they're the most important because of controls, certainty, and risk. So they're like, well, hey, well, we have certain controls in place. This is what makes it, you know, this is what creates the certainty. And this is also what it helps us to minimize the risk. But also helps with the operations department to have more longevity. So the systems department feels like they're the most important because they feel like they tie all three together. Okay, well, if you have great systems in place, you can provide a great experience. If you can provide a great experience, you can provide... a uh, longer longevity and then also if you have systems in place you can increase sales so you know you have to balance all uh, four of these mindsets and I come at it more from a more foundational standpoint in which a leadership style that I developed which is uh, called you know longevity leadership and which it accounts for all of these uh, four uh, department mindsets. So it's really more of a collaborative approach. And everything starts with culture. So my concept is all about taking, you know, creating a collaborative culture that is built into each department or into the company as a whole. So it's not that it's too much. So the culture is not too much sales culture. It's not too much operations culture. It's not too much of an experience culture. And it's not too much of a systems culture. And this is why a lot of companies go wrong when they build their cultures. Is which you have too much of one. And like I said, what is really prevalent is the sales culture. And, you know, if you just have a sales culture, you alienate. And you exile everybody else out. And it goes same thing for the operations, the service, and the systems culture. So, um, as far as those four mindsets, you have one or two options. You can either learn how to have all four of those in harmony. Or, I recommend uh, using my um, longevity uh, leadership uh, mindset that can bring all of those together. And the four pillars to those are culture, training, strategy, and execution. I strongly believe that HR should have more of a hospitality culture or more of a hospitality mindset 
that is focused for the employees. That, you know, and it's, it's just like when you go to, you know, a restaurant or you go to a hotel, you go to a resort. That hospitality staff is to make sure, or it should make sure that you have the best hospitality when you go there. You should create that same type of resort style for your employees. Where when they walk into work, that's basically their work resort, hotel, restaurant, whatever. They should already know that, hey, look, the hospitality here is A1. You know, it doesn't get any better than here. And I feel like that's a huge competitive advantage, especially when it comes to building culture. Another thing is, too, uh, part of this hospitality culture for the HR department is the HR department should also have an open-door policy. That means that no matter the rank or the title, you should be able to come in and file a grievance or just have a conversation, no matter what it is. So even if it's the janitor, the janitor should have the same right to to have a conversation with the HR department just as much as the CEO should. So uh, there really should be a huge uh, open-door policy. And another thing, too, that I want to add is that, you know, if a grievance or if a concern comes up, that hopefully, you know, it should be thoroughly investigated or thoroughly looked to looked into, and then a response or a report should be provided to the individual who made that request. Not just, I sit down with you, which is what most HR departments are. You sit down with them, you tell them they may or may not write it down, and then nothing gets done with it. That doesn't solve any problem. So uh, I highly recommend, you know, taking it a step forward and coming back and at least giving that person some clarity and some closure on say, hey, look, you know, this is, you presented this to us, and this is the reason why we're going to pass on this, or this is the reason why, you know, we're going to proceed, and, and thanks for that contribution. I think it would be a whole lot more effective than to just, you know, you do something, or you say something, and nothing is done. This is another reason why a lot of cultures suffer. And then people always say, oh, well, if you don't tell us, then we can't fix the problem. The reason they don't tell you is because, number one, some people could be judgmental. But more importantly, number two, if I tell you, then what? If I tell you, then what, what, what's going to happen? Like, uh, I mentioned this on like some previous audio about how you have these companies that they go in and they hire these consultants. And the consultants do a top-line review from top to bottom and see, you know, what the company can improve on, what the company does right, what the company does wrong. Here's the thing. Now, like I said, I'm all for another perspective. But most of the time, you ain't even got to hire nobody. All you got to do is just put a, a feedback or a suggestion box and let everybody submit whatever feedback they want to give the company. And then what you and then even if you gotta create a team, or if they you more like you're gonna have to create a team because executives are not gonna want to spend their time on it. They're gonna feel like this is beneath them and they should be doing other things. But okay, cool, have a team. Have a strategy team, I call it that. Have a feedback or a culture strategy team or whatever you want to call it. Have a team that whether it takes them away however long it takes them to get through this all of these all of the feedback. But basically they go through each uh, suggestion and they break it down. 
why we do this, why we don't. And then if not, then you can also have somebody that's in the room that's taking notes that can write the minutes and stuff like that. And then you can have, you know, and then eventually you have to figure out a distribution channel on how to get that response to the requester. And like I said, it I know, I know it doesn't sound very scalable, but it would make your culture a whole lot better. It will increase your intention, it's gonna increase your revenue, your continuity and everything else. But like I said, people don't want to do the hard work. And then these executives want to know why this stuff is not happening, why it's not happening the way they want to. It's because you got to put in the work. But yeah, having HR, open door, hospitality policy. If you focus more on hospitality, you will wind up having a better corporate culture. Now, the opposite of the HR hospitality, like I said, which is common, is the sales department, the sales CEO, or, the, or a sales executive have a strong influence over HR. So, what I mean by this is that, you know, if what you're suggesting, if it's not a way that it can increase revenue, that they not want to hear it. Not only that, usually when you hear somebody say, oh, well, it's not in the budget, it's usually because they don't want to invest in that. Not only that, they figure by investing in that, that takes away from the initials from the sales department to produce revenue because that's what it's all about. It's all about producing revenue. When actually, at the end of the day, what it should be about, it should be about building brand and then even more about building a brand that provides or delights value to their customers. That's really what it should be, not focusing on sales because, you know, it's all about law of reciprocity. In Business 101, it's all about reciprocity. You provide value in a product, service, or whatever consumable method that you choose for your clients and for your customers, they will give you the revenue. And yeah, it's always great to come up with creative ways to increase revenue. But, like I said, this is only one part of it. So when it's all about sales, 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 not adding value to the customer, it's all about sales. So when you have, like I said, we have a strong sales department or a sales CEO that really pushes hard, or you have a sales executive that has a strong influence, that affects the HR department completely. It's like the HR department is crippled, it's weak. So really what happens is you have a company that's in balance. Yeah, they have a great sales department. Yeah, they're making money. But the HR department is weak. That can also, like I said, turn off a lot of other departments. But this is why I say we need to get away from this strong sales culture. Now, I can make it seem like Oh, Joe, you're a Debbie Downer. You're wrong. It's all about sales. Okay, cool. Like I said, how many companies have you seen that had strong sales departments? How many of them are still here? Not only that, in this ever-changing, innovative world, especially now when you look at successful companies that when you look at it, 
what do they really have in common? You look at, at the fundamentals, you realize, man, I thought it was what they sell. No, it's actually their culture. This is, that's, that's the most important thing. Is culture, not sales. Because if you get the culture right, the sales is going to come. Yeah, and I know sales is a numbers game. But if sales, if focusing on the sale was not the number one priority, then you would increase sales. You would have a longer LTV, long-term value of the customer. And you have better repeat business. If it was just sales, 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 sales. But, you know, people don't understand this. You know, I can give several, I'll give several examples about the whole sales versus hospitality thing. Okay. The first thing is that I want to talk about, and I talked about this before, but I use a former banker for example. I'm going to use two I'm going to use one from a former bank and then I'm going to use one for myself, right? Okay. So, I was working at a branch in which we had a strong sales uh, CEO. She's very charismatic and she's very extroverted. So, it's easy to get caught up in her aura and her charisma that she can sell ice to an Eskimo. If you're not conscious, if you're not really paying attention to this. So, we had one of our all-star bankers, right? And she was number one at our branch. Why was she number one? She was number one because she had more of a hospitality approach, not a sales approach. Now, the other bankers fell right into the... You know the sales culture of the of the branch manager, because you know they she's charismatic, so you know they have their own meetings and they'll talk about their sales goals. And like I said, our number one banker, she used to always have sales constantly. So one day I asked, I'm like, "Man, you good?" I'm like, "How do you do it?" And she said. Same thing that Jeff Bezos said. She said, it's all about the customer. She was like, I just try to provide solutions in a friendly manner and connect with people on how to, you know, help them with their needs. Not necessarily sell them a product that I think they would want. And I've even seen a time where, you know, our banker had a disagreement or argument with our uh, branch manager, but see, our branch manager also knows she's smart. If I lose my number one producer, then what? Because you already know sales is gonna drop over fifty percent. But it's also too when when you create hospitality for people, you build a brand. So not only did get it, it's a uh, outsell everybody and like I said she rarely uses a sales approach she provides hospitality people love that once again dopamine gets released and it's just like if you if you have a good movie you gotta tell everybody about it like I was just talking with a friend this morning she was telling me about this one ice cream now I'm considering you know thinking about trying that ice cream 
but she, you know, yeah, and when she used her sales pitch, but it was really more of a hospitality of, hey, if you try this ice cream, this is this is what the experience that you're gonna get. Not necessarily that, oh, well, if you don't eat this ice cream that you're a loser. She didn't go at it that approach. So because she went at it from a hospitality standpoint, I'm more open to trying that ice cream. But getting back to Yeritsa, Yeritsa used the hospitality approach. And what happened? She created a brand. She provided value for the customers. And then it got to the point that she didn't really have to, you know, she didn't have to go through the list of certain clients that we had and call them up and try to sell them something. And Yeritsa, and a lot of the thing I like about Yeritsa is she treated everybody the same. You know, whether you had successful business owners in the Tampa Bay market or if you had the low-income family that came in and they were just trying to provide for their family, have a bank account, and save money, even if it was $5 a month. Because you don't know who that person may know. So that's the first thing of reason, you know, why, you know, the whole hospitality thing versus the sales department, why we really need to change that. The second thing is with me. I'm not naturally a salesperson. I'm, I get passionate about certain things. So I try to influence you or persuade you, but I don't try to go gun-ho sell you because that's not my style, and I'm terrible at it. And we had sales goals as well. And I was at the bottom of the sales goals. Why? Because I was trying traditional sales tactics. But I moved up to the middle when I changed my philosophy to hospitality. Kind of similar to Yeritsa, but on a smaller scale. When I started talking with people and coming up with solutions on how it can add value for them instead of, hey, this is the product for today or this is the product for the week. Let's try to sell this. And we had those competitions. And I failed at those competitions. And, you know, it is what it, it, is, what it is. You know, I ain't going to lie. That was something we said I thought I was going to get fired because I couldn't, quote, unquote, sell the way they wanted me to sell because of that strong sales culture. But I just stuck to my guns. And I started building up a little bit of a clientele. You know, and then there was days when I overly exceeded quota. There was days when I didn't meet quota, but that's when I used it additional sales tactics. I mean, traditional sales tactics. Another uh, another example, too, is, uh, you know, when you go to, oh, another example, your finances, right? So, also being a former financial advisor, not just a banker, but a financial advisor, when you meet with a financial advisor or anything financial, if somebody just try to come in and sell you something, your initial reaction is going to be to shut it down. Then they're going to try all this stuff in the book on trying to come up with all these tactics on how to, you know, overcome your objections. And there's a time and place for that. But if, if like Gary Vee says, if your intent is right, you don't have to worry about doing all that with somebody trying to sell you on something. Especially when you feel it won't benefit you or add value to you. Then it's just like, you know, with your, with your, with your, with your health. If people try to sell you on why you need a gym membership or if they try to sell you 
on why you need to eat certain vegetables or eat certain healthy food or nutrition, you won't do it. It it took it took a forty page health uh paper for me to realize the importance of nutrition and health because everybody would always just try to sell me. But when I actually did the research and I figured out the value and why you want to eat healthy and why you want to take care of your body, it made it more easy for me. So, yeah, then I started eating healthier meals and doing different things for my health. But nobody came at me with a hospitality approach. I had to go figure this out on my own and provide the own hospitality to myself. And then I realized, you know, uh, the importance of it. And then, too, you know, when it comes to you personally, you know, if you try to sell you, if you try to sell yourself on achieving certain goals, that may not work for you. But if you provide yourself with some hospitality and say, hey, look, if I do this, this is what I would get out. This is the value that it brings to my life. Not that if you don't do this, then you're a loser. So it's all about a matter of just, you know, changing your perspective. So these are some of the examples on while I say that, you know, like I said, there's nothing wrong with having sales, but it should be within context. It should be all about adding value. And it should be about, you know, relationships with yourself and with others, not just transactional. On how to make the next sale and move on to the next. A good rule of thumb or a good business practice would be take care of your people and they will provide the customer care to your customers and clients that will take care of the business. If you notice all of the top brands in the world and companies that really succeed and thrive even now in this tough COVID landscape, it's usually from a company that puts their people first. Then when you put the people first, the people will take care of the customers and the clients. And then if everybody's having a great experience with the law of reciprocity, then you have a recipe for success. I mean, I'll just give you two quick examples. You know, uh, Jack Ma with Alibaba and Richard Branson with the Virgin Group. So first with Jack Ma with Alibaba. Jack Ma says that it's in this order. Three things. Number one, he said is, I think he said it's, yeah, he said it's his customers. He said customers number one, people number two, and investors number three. Customers number one, people number two, investors number three. And he explained it. He said customers number one is because customers are the ones that you know, that give you the money. And when they asked him about him being worth billions of dollars, he said, really, all of that is, is, he said, that's not really my money. He said, that's just customers' trust that we have accumulated over the years. So I thought that was a great way and perspective to put that into consideration when he said that, you know, yeah, he's a billionaire, but he doesn't want any different treatment just because he's a billionaire. He just looked at it as trust. 
and then now he's able to invest in things that he's passionate about. So he hasn't let the business status, you know, get to his head. But getting back to it, like he says, you know, he wants to take care of his customers because they build trust. And he said that was also a reason why they grew so fast because when they first started out Alibaba, he said they were broke. And a lot of the small business owners that they helped with, you know, e-commerce, he said they couldn't really afford the services or the or or the prices that they were charging. So he basically put everything on an IOU. But he said that even though he didn't, you know, really make no money for the first couple of years, you know, people people would buy him food. They say, Hey, you know, I can't but I can buy you a meal or I can, you know, help you pay this bill or whatever the case may be. So because he took care of his customers at the beginning when he didn't really have any money, now they take care of him and the other executives and co-founders and the employees at Alibaba. So he said, you know, he always put the customers first. Then, too, he said he put the people second was because, of you know, he's a teacher and he has a type of background. He loves, you know, taking care of people. He want to see people grow. And he even mentioned that, you know, when you take care of your people, that's a good retention strategy because when you take care of somebody and somebody's going to take care of good, they don't want to go. They won't have FOMO. They won't be looking for the bigger, better deal or the best option. If you're already getting what you need, you know, at your current workplace. So this is why, like, I keep saying this again, but this is why the Silicon Valley is so effective. It's because they understand this. So they try to embed all of this in their culture. So when you get there, you don't want to leave. It's like going to Disney World for the first time. It's like going to Disneyland for the first time. When you get there, you like, you know, I know at least for me, I remember going to Magic Kingdom for the first time. I never wanted to leave. And just Orlando in general, that's why, you know, Orlando has a special place in my heart, not just because of Disney, but a lot of the hot, it's, it's built on hospitality. So when I go, I don't want to leave. Uh, and that's the same way you should treat your employees. You should make it so hard that they don't want that they, they don't want to leave. Uh, just was uh, on LinkedIn uh, yesterday, and there was um, a guy who's a, a senior leader at Amazon, and he said that you know he had the potential to go to. Uh, he interviewed with another company, and he could have potentially made over five hundred thousand dollars a year which would have been more than what he's making at Amazon. But he didn't leave. Why? He said, because he talked about the culture. And that's the thing, too. You know, it's it's more than just, you know, uh, financial compensation. You want to look at the overall compensation package. You know, will you be a good fit? Are there any other benefits that may offset, you know, the financial component? So, uh, but yeah, that's why Jack said he makes his uh, people number two. Because, you know, when you take care of your people, you get back to number one, which is taking care of your customers. And, you know, they understand the importance of strong retention, which is what I always say, increases continuity and collaboration and, you know, and competency as well. And that's really what companies and brands get paid for. They get paid for their competency. As soon as a brand no longer becomes competent, then that's when they suffer. Uh, but yeah, uh, Jack Ma said, you know, people are number two. And then he says investors are number three or shareholders are number three. And they say, Jack, why is investors number three? 
And he said the same thing. Number one, check my also subscribe to the uh, Warren Buffett approach in which if you're going to invest in them, you're investing for the long term. They don't really issue no dividends. So if you want um, to cash out, you have to cash out your stock. They're not just going to issue a dividend, you know, every year. But the reason, but the main reason why he said investor number three is he, is he said because when the times get hard, investors leave. They pull their money out. They're like, Jack, hey, we love you, but we really don't know exactly what you're doing or where you're going. And it's kind of tough times. So they freak out. They pull their money out. And then, so they want to try to time the market, which is terrible. If anything, when the market is bad, that's actually great. You want to keep putting money in there. Why? Because that's when you can make more money. You get better deals that way when things are bad. There's always opportunity when things are bad, especially in the stock market. But people don't look at it that way. But it's also, you know, due to, like I said, you know, societal. And then in this case, you know, corporate conditioning. But that's why he put investors number three. It's because of that. And then uh, Richard Branson, his simple philosophy is this. Just like when you water flowers they flourish when you praise people they flourish so richard branson also understands the same thing and maybe this could be a billionaire formula but when you take care of your people they take care of your customers and then that's how the money come in who doesn't want to be taken care of i'm pretty sure when you go to a restaurant or you have certain things that you need taken care of if you can have a company that can come in or a brand that is that can come in do what they need to do and get you the result that you need with the value. And half the time or half the stress you're going to love them. You're going to be loyal to them. And then you'll want to continue to keep doing business with them. But you got to, you know, you got to be intentional. You got to put this stuff out. That's why they say it's better to give than to receive. Because when you can, there's only, there's a, there's a, a cap on what you receive. But there's um, limited on what you can give. I'll say that one more time. There's a cap on what you can receive. But it's unlimited on what you can give. I mean, let's just take one of the biggest things in the world, which is nature or agriculture, right? The more seeds that you plant and you give it the nurturing, the more harvest that you're going to reap. That's why you got to plant the seeds. When you plant the seeds, your harvest would be astronomical. I'm a living proof of that. When I was in corporate, I I tried to help everybody. Why? I was just planting seed after seed after seed after seed after seed after seed. And my results on my harvest was, I want to say, 10 to 1,000 times what I got out of planting those seeds. And sometimes I just planted small seeds. It wasn't even like it was a big seed. It was sometimes it was just small seeds. And I get a 10x return on a small seed. So I so I truly subscribe to that. I mean, uh, I will lean a little. I mean, I understand Jack put the customers first because, you know, they pay you. But from my personal experience, or from my personal experience I will put my people first. And then my customer second and my shareholders start only because in order for the people to pay me, I have to give them great experiences. So if I take care of my people, they would want to take care of my customers and my clients and then that's how I get the money. So 
but I get it. Jack is using people number one as a goal. They're like this is what we strive for. So I understand that perspective. But from my perspective, like I said, I want to take care of my people. I want them to have the best environment. Get I want to get them the best as I possibly can, so then they can give our clients and our customers the best possible experience and do that on a consistent basis. Next, now let's talk about the benefits on why you want to put your people first and why you want to have more of a hospitality instead of focusing on sales. Number one, you're going to get uh, better distribution partners. When you become very successful, people in distribution will seek you out. So, you take care of your people, you take care of your customers and your clients. You get more money that come in, right? So, the more people that you're able to service, you're going to need better distribution. You're also going to have leverage. Not only that, you will show that you're a potential winner. And now they know that all you have to do is scale. So, now you're going to have the best distribution partners coming to you because you are establish yourself as a brand. You're kind of like an anchor. You're... You're also, you can potentially become iconic. And then these distribution partners understand that when they serve you, they're going to want to give you the best experience, similar to what you gave to your customers because they want to continue to do business with you. And that's going to do well for their revenue. So that's the reason why. It's because everybody benefits. Your people benefit, the customer benefit, the distribution partners benefit not only that they may even ask you to potentially teach them how to become better and improve and that was you know that's what happened with uh with apple and at&t with apple and at&t when apple when iphone first came out and it was only exclusively on at&t uh you know how many people went to at&t just to get the iphone not only that they said that, you know, Steve Jobs was handsomely rewarded as well on top of his compensation because they tried to bring somewhat of an experience to AT&T similar to Apple. So, every, they, you know, so AT&T understood that, okay, now we have Apple, we have to improve our standards. And they did that for a while. I, I think it lasted maybe like for two or three years, you know, AT&T started having record numbers. But then after a while, you know, AT and T didn't fully want. They didn't want to change their culture. They just wanted to change a, a specific part of it. But they didn't change their culture from the ground up, and it would have potentially been uh, very profitable. And I understand the investment would have been, you know, significant. Maybe they would have had to spend, I don't know, maybe fifty to a hundred million, even more, to rebrand and to rebuild a whole culture. But that could have netted you billions and billions and billions of dollars on the back end. So eventually what winds up happening is Apple started noticing it and, you know, probably for other uh, profitable reasons, they went from being exclusive to non-exclusive. So now you can get it on all the major carriers. And now they open up the floodgates. And AT&T dropped. And then now people went back to their preferred carrier because they're like, well, that was the only reason I went to AT&T in the first place was because of the Apple iPhone. So, uh, they got, they, people left and got rid of AT&T. But because Apple and because you can do it with your company, 
you make sure that you can always get the best uh, distribution. Part. And it's the same thing for the vendors. You can get better um, distribution partners and vendors when you do that. So um, that's one of the benefits of making sure that you take care of uh, your people first, which then will take care of your customers, which then will take care of your distribution partners and your vendors. And that also becomes a part of your whole entire process because that's also a part of the uh, the client experience, having great distribution and having great vendors and having great manufacturing partners as well. Because when all of that is in unison, it makes the customer happy and the customer continue to pay. So when the, and when the customer continues to pay, that's more money for the company. The distribution partner gets paid. The vendors get paid, and then the uh, manufacturers get paid. And when that happens, they're able to pay their employees, and their employees are able to go spend money at other businesses, and this is how cities thrive. And then this is how counties thrive. And then when the counties thrive, then the states thrive. And then before you know it, as a country, we as the United States of America can thrive as well. Then you will have other countries that want to do business with us or at least do business with our U.S.-based companies. So that's the reason why that's one of the extreme benefits to taking care of your people, to take care of your customers. Another benefit when you do all this is that it's easy to increase revenue and then you can adece- you can decrease expenses. Especially with the marketing. So, once again, the formula is you take care of your people and they take care of your customers. And then your revenue goes up, your expenses go down, then especially your marketing, you develop a brand. So, this is really how it works. You invest, training, development, strategies, all that create a great culture. What happened? Your employees are happy. Okay, cool. Then your employees interact with your customers or your clients. They provide the best service. They provide the best value experience. Then the clients are happy. Then the clients pay you. Now, in the meantime, like I said, your revenue is going to go up. Your marketing expenses, and then you become a brand. So your marketing expenses are going to decrease because now, you know, you become a, uh, you become a brand. Then, on top of that, your uh, payroll expenses are going to go down because you're going to have higher retention. Uh, Your financial expenses are going to go down. We need to finance stuff because you're going to have more capital. You're going to have more collateral. So, your assets, your liabilities, so that's going to go down. Um, What else, too? Your your technology costs are going to go down as well because you're going to have leverage. So... Uh, there's a lot of things that go on when you, you know, when you take care of your people and it has a, a collaborative approach around the whole company. And getting back to that, too, you know, then you can also have brand ambassadors like Apple. So not only on the, in the internal part, you reducing expenses. But like I said, on the external side, too, with marketing, you decrease it, too, because. Everybody wants everybody. It's when you. The reason why bad, bad news travels fast, and it's because we're all protective. We want to make sure that person doesn't have that same bad experience. 
But when somebody does have a good experience, yeah, they may rarely share it. But if you continue to be consistent with it, it'll make a, it'll, it. It's it's life changing. It's, it's it's a game changer. I was just on a call earlier because uh, I'm a part of Growth Academy. Uh, what I found, uh, Shanae Murray. So once again, shout out to Shanae and all the you know Growth Academy members if you're listening to this. But Shanae in our training today, Shanae talked about Chick Fil A, about you know their culture and how they you know become you know very distinctive. And now you have brand ambassadors like we we advocate for Chick Fil A. You know is you know you're a brand ambassador for Chick Fil A. When Sunday comes, you mad. You pissed off on Sundays. Why? Because they close. Why? Because they have Christian values. So you can't get Chick-fil-A on Sunday, especially when you be craving it. But that's because of brand ambassadors. But why is that? It's because Chick-fil-A take care of their people. I know some people uh, make fun of Chick-fil-A people. They be like, man, where you going to Chick-fil-A? They, they always happy. They, you know, they might, something got to be wrong because they just too happy. They just too friendly. Chick-fil-A understands that. But they take care of their people. Why? Because everything is collaborative and they get them good. And they also give them uh, better salaries. Then, you know, they probably get them stock options too. It's a great collaborative experience. It's a part of the culture. Everybody is, thank you and my pleasure. They understand that. They also believe in the customer, which I know a lot of people are going to love it too. That a lot of people, uh, some people say they're not stingy with the sauces. They give you sauces, they give you what you want. Another thing is too, Chick fil A thinks long term. If they mess your order up, they let you keep the one that they messed up and then they give you a new one. And they may even give you uh, a, a redeemable um, coupon for a treat or something to come back next time on them. They understand that. They know you're going to cash that in. Not only that, when you come back, you probably won't just buy the milkshake. You probably may buy other stuff too because now you got more money in your pocket. It's also a psychological treat. You can kind of feel abundant. So you're going to continue to keep doing business with Chick-fil-A. Not only that, this is what people don't understand too. Dopamine. Chick-fil-A loves to create a great experience. Why? Because you're releasing dopamine. It's a neural association. So you're attaching a good experience to this place. It's the same thing with people. So you're attaching it to this place. And, you know, so you're going to keep going back. And it just becomes on on repeat. This also goes back to, you know, uh, back in the day with memories, you know, before my grandfather passed away. We used to always go to this uh, restaurant called Lums, and you know, uh, lower part of Miami. We used to go to Lums for breakfast, and my grandfather, when he first met that, he met this waitress named Alice. And Alice, you know, she knew the whole. She was basically a part of our family. We had been going there for decades, at least twenty years. He had been knowing Alice. And Alice always took care of us. And my grandfather always left a great tip. And we became brand ambassadors. It was the same thing too. We went used to go to a restaurant called Coney Island. If we wasn't going to Lums, we was at Coney Island. And we had become brand ambassadors. And we had always went. We always spent our money there. 
But that's because what? Because of the people. We always had great experiences. So this is why people are so important. So, you know, you want to have these brand ambassadors. And it also makes it easier for the company to, from financial longevity, you're able to do more. You're able to serve more. So, those are the additional benefits to why you want to take care of your people so they take care of your customers so that you can develop brand ambassadors. Now, let's really get to the nitty-gritty. Let's get to the real meat and potatoes now. Okay, to sales department, right? The sales department, I like to think they're either the kings or the queens of the organization, depending on if it's a traditional company or if it's a you know women-owned business in which the sales department would be uh, the queens. And actually, women have an advantage <laughs> as far as becoming salespeople, but that's a whole other conversation. But getting back to this, so the sales department think they're the kings of the queens of the organization. This is a half true. Why do I say it's a half true? The reason I say it's a half true is because, yeah, they bring in the money, and that's important. You need money. So a lot of salespeople or sales executives or sales uh, CEOs see this is why sales, sell, 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 sell. Okay. I give you that halfway. Here's here here's here's the real brick. You're not the only one on the team. It's a collaborative effort. So just imagine if your body, for example, let's say for example. If the heart went to the brain and be like, look, it's all about me. I make everything work. But really, it's the brain, in this case, which is the culture or the hospitality, which makes everything work. Why? Because the brain is the one that's sending the signals to make sure that the blood is flowing to the heart. So that it can pump. If you got no brain. The heart doesn't pump. But the thing about it is. It shouldn't shouldn't be about. Which one is more important. It should be all about. What's in the best interest of the customer. Or the client. In this case your body as a whole. So your overall health. That's the customer. That's what the body should be focusing on. It's the same thing in business. It should be about what's providing the most value to the customer. It shouldn't just be, well, we're the sales department. We bring in the most money. And like I said, it's a collaborative effort. Don't believe me? Check this out. Right? So, you gotta, so okay, cool. The salespeople sell. But you got to keep them motivated. You got to keep them uh, inspired. You got to keep them wanting to do it. Right? Okay. So for the sales team, when they want to, when they want to think, when they want events to happen, such as let's say for example they want to go on a retreat, or they want to be rewarded for their efforts, 
especially if they became an award-winning sales team. Or let's say, for example, if they want treats or if they want other, you know, benefits or expenses that got to come out of the uh, of the company's uh, budget, right? To shower them with give. Even if they want validation, right? To show them how great. Even if they want to show off. Here's the newsflash. You got to contact HR for that. You just can't do that on your own. Why? Because you're not built for that. You That's not your specialty. Your specialty is to make money, right? Okay, cool. But you want to receive awards. That's the HR department's job. It's to provide the rewards. It's to provide the culture. To put you in a position to win in the first place. So as you can see. The the more you take care of the HR department. The better your life will be. Now. And then what's, what's really important. Is the marketing department. How do you get your leads? The marketing department comes up with these campaigns to make it easy for you. Otherwise, you'll spend more time prospecting than showing up. The best thing for a salesperson to do is to already have an appointment lined up. It's for the marketing department to do their job. A salesperson doesn't want to have to, I mean, they will if they have to, but they don't want to have to go and market and sell at the same time. Now, if they have to do it, they'll do it. But they want to, they want the marketing department to make it easy for them. Hence, so that they can get their leads and they can just close they can just close the prospect. But you need the marketing department for that. Second, growth, right? You want to grow. You want to get promoted. You want to go on trips. You want to do all that stuff, right? Okay, cool. Let's say, for example, based on the structure... The company needs finances. They need good financial terms. What happened? You need the financial. You need the finance department to do that, so that the company can grow to give you additional opportunities, to make you more fulfilled, to want to increase your retention to stay at the company. You can't do that by yourself. And one of the most important departments is. The accounting department, you definitely should be nice to the accounting department. Why? Because they pay the bills and they produce your payroll. Would you still be motivated to produce at a high level if your payroll wasn't coming in, if your paycheck wasn't being processed right? Would you be okay with that? Absolutely not. Are you able to process your own payroll? Do you understand accounting laws? Do you understand taxes? No, you don't. You're a salesperson. So, this is why this whole revenue don't solve problems because, and that's why I said at the beginning of this podcast, revenue only solves sales problems. Because if revenue solves all problems, then when you have an HR problem, is your sales team going to handle that? When you need leads, is your sales team want to do marketing? They going to handle that problem? When they want to grow, when the company wants to grow, is the sales team going to step in and do the financial legwork? Are they going to process payroll? Another thing is, too, your legal team, which is very, very important, making sure the contracts are right. 
Also, too, your risk department, making sure they minimize risk. If you get yourself jammed up, are you able to get yourself out of it? No. More like you're not. Why? Because your risk, your compliance, and your legal department are all have to work together. That protection triangle is going to come in and say that that's going to be your superman or your superwoman for that matter. So, this is the reason why this whole revenue solves problems is a half true. And it only really solves revenue problems or sales problems. And then the final point to make is this. If you keep having that attitude, like I said, people are going to leave. But more importantly, you don't want to ruin your relationships with the other departments. Because if you walk around with your chest stuck out and you think that, you know, it's all about you, the sales department, you're going to ruin those relationships. And trust me, the other departments, they're going to rally together. And they're going to make sure to make your life a living hell. And that's the last thing you want is that you had a fully functioning machine. But because you couldn't show no humidity and all this gravitas, you couldn't show no gratitude and no humility to your team, the other members on the team, because it's just about you. I mean, think about it, right? Look at any champion or sports team. No Champion ever wins a championship by themselves. Every champion that has won has you always even if it was an all star, you always had to have you always had to have at least one all star and at least two supporting players. Every championship. You could take Michael Jordan in the championship Bulls, which I did an episode on them a while back. Same thing. Michael Jordan had to have Scottie Pippen, Horace Grant, first go-round. Then it was John Paxton, Steve Kerr, Tony Kukoc. Michael Jordan couldn't win that championship by himself. He even says that too. He even says Scottie Pippen is his greatest teammate. That's why the Bulls wasn't winning. It's because Doug Collins was just about Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan. He, but he had to wait for Jerry Krause to get talent in there in order for that to happen. LeBron James, same thing. I mean, we could talk about it from he got four titles with three different teams, right? Let's start with the, with the first one, Miami Heat. He had to come to Miami. Shout out to my hometown. He had to learn the blueprint. But what happened? He had Dwayne Wade. He had Chris Bosh. And they had Udonis Hazem and some role players. What happened? They won. And then the, the, the next year, they added Ray Allen to that. Then when he went to Cleveland, he had Kyrie Irving. Which, like I said, Kyrie don't get his credit. But that's a whole other situation. But yeah, he had Kyrie Irving. He had Kevin Love. He had Tristan Thompson. When they won the championship. Now recently in L.A., what happened? He had Anthony Davis. He had Rajon Rondo. He had J.R. Smith. He had Danny Green. He had Kyle Kuzma. So as you can see, they had a 
a team. Even Dwight Howard, which I know Shaq never went in about, you know, Dwight Howard. But as you can see, championship. So, and and like I said, my final words is this. That's the thing. You want to build a championship culture. But you want to make sure that the sales teams want to make sure that you show appreciation to the other members on the team. Because I'm telling you. You keep walking around with this whole revenue solves problems mentality. One or two things gonna happen. Either you're not gonna survive long term. Number two, you're not gonna be able to scale quickly. Or number three, you gonna survive, but you won't thrive. Thank you for listening to the Paradigms and Perspectives podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time out to listen to this podcast. We really hope that you got some value out of this podcast and that this podcast will assist with you changing your paradigm and changing your perspective so that you can live the life that you was meant to live. And we look forward to seeing you in another podcast episode. Thank you and have a good day.